Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is Craig Mason. Craig has had a love affair with the game of poker for as long as he can remember. Back in the moneymaker boom when he was a special education teacher, he would travel to the WSOP in Vegas just to sit in the bleachers and watch his heroes fight tooth and nail for life-changing cash, prestige, and the hardware that comes with victory. Fast forward to 2018, we're at the Party Poker Caribbean Poker Party, which is quite a mouthful to say. Craig found himself under the bright lights looking to have his breakthrough moment while battling at the final table with a cool $1.5 million up top. You're about to hear this story and many more straight from Craig in just a few moments. In today's show, you're going to learn the amazing way Craig skyrocketed his poker game after only a few days of getting coaching by legendary online crusher and past Chasing Poker Greatness guest Mark Dipthrong Herm, how Craig's off-the-table work did or didn't contribute to his massive poker breakthrough, why Craig highly, highly advocates for one-to-one private coaching, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you a crusher who is living out his poker dream, Craig Mason. Craig, good morning, sir. How you doing? Morning, man. Doing well. Doing well. Just waking up, hanging out. Uh, Kids about to get ready for school and hanging out here in Vegas. Yeah, it's much earlier for you. I'm very surprised. It's 7 a.m., in Vegas, and you are awake and with it and ready for the podcast, which I have to say is not typical for poker players in general. <laughs> well, I have a one-year-old baby and a eight-year-old daughter, so I'm used to waking up early now. I wake up probably six o'clock every morning, so it's nothing new to me. I'm, I'm used to waking up. It's kind of funny. It reminds me of uh, Jungle came on the pod and he sent me a message at like 8.30 a.m. one time and was like, hey, let's do it. <laughs> like, and yeah. I, I don't even know like where the hell he was, but it was like 8.30 for me. And I have to assume he was probably just awake all night. Like he, there, was no, there was no sleep involved uh, <laughs> in, in that specific uh, instance. But um, yeah, it's good having you on the show. And as we typically do here, I want to start out by asking you the story of how you got involved playing cards. Cool. So uh, I, like most other people that got into poker, I started watching on TV, Chris Moneymaker. You know, I just like got completely obsessed with it, really. I was just watching all the time. And then I would, uh, I had like a fake I, I So I grew up in New York. And uh, how, how old are you, by the way? I, I'm 34. 34. All right. So I grew, so yeah, I was, let me see, 2003, 
I guess I was like 17 around when the moneymaker thing happened. And uh, so, yeah, I just fell in love with poker, like got completely obsessed, started, uh, you know, depositing $50 on party poker, intercops poker, open the bed, all those, all the sites you could think of. Uh, just really just watching every type of poker, anything that was on TV, just like completely obsessed. And then, uh, why, one sec, why, why did poker resonate with you like that? Why did you, why were you obsessed with with the game when, you know, there's an unlimited amount of things to be obsessed with, right? Like why poker specifically? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a good question. I think like, I I think it was just the fact of like that these, these guys were able to like it's probably Chris Moneymaker specifically, or just like these guys went on and like they were winning millions of dollars, and it's just like I was like, whoa, like this is this is unbelievable. Like I just I, I don't I, I can't really tell you what it was. It's just something. But I mean, I've always loved sports, but like something about poker just really like sat with me, and I just I just loved it. Were you a natural when you first picked up the game? Like, were you naturally just curious about the strategy? What was that like? Uh, no, actually, I was pretty bad at the beginning. I think I was more for my first like few years of poker, maybe even more than two years. I was like more of a fanboy than anything. Like, I would uh, even like when I, I would my first summer at the World Series of Poker, like, I, remember I, would, I would go out there and you know I would. I would literally maybe play like a little bit for, I'll go out for a week or two, play like a couple small sitting goes, but I would just sit there and watch final tables. Like I would just go to the main stage at the Rio and just sit there for 10 hours and watch Tom Blonde at a final table, watch, you know, whoever, Doyle, Jackie Chan, you know, whoever. Any, any sorry, Johnny sorry. Chan, not Jackie <laughs> Chan. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Johnny Chan. Johnny Chan. <laughs> You know, all these all these guys, Phil Halbert, whoever it was, and I was just like completely obsessed with watching. And I, I I don't even think at that point. So I actually was a, I I was a teacher. I was a special education teacher. I worked for uh, an agency, uh, like doing some tutoring, and then I was also a classroom teacher for very small time. But uh, anyway, yeah, I don't think I ever imagined that I would actually be playing poker for a living one day i think i just really just loved the game i just like to watch it and yeah i could never imagine that i would actually be playing now for a living with a lot of the guys that i saw on tv so you would fly to vegas stay yeah. in vegas for a few weeks and just watch all the final tables yeah pretty much i mean i would play like you know, like my, I had some friends that would like take pieces of me. I would play like two five, no limit, or you know, play some small, hundred and fifty dollars sitting goes, or maybe like if I took like a huge shot, I would like sell out half in like a one k no limit tournament and play like one tournament the whole summer. But yeah, mostly I would literally, I would just go there. I was so happy. I remember I had a friend of mine that was like, loved. He was a huge fan of poker as well. He would come. He had like an ultimate bet sweatshirt and he would like come and get it all signed by all the players and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, that was, I mean, I never did that, but I just, I just, I would like, I was the type of guy that would walk into the room and be like, oh my God, that's this guy. That's this guy. That's this guy. I just, I just love poker. And, you know, that love of poker, how old were you when you're just, uh, you know, watching these final tables? Like how old were you then? And then, 
you, you mentioned that you're a teacher. So also want to transition into, you know, making poker a larger part of your life and going away from teaching. Like, how did that all come about? I think, yes, yeah, so I was, I was teaching. Uh, I really honestly hated teaching, to tell you the truth. I was just like, I, I got into like a bad situation. I, 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 um, I got called in the middle of the school year and basically, so I, I would assume now it's different, but back then, like, it was very hard in New York to get like a full-time teaching position, believe it or not. Like it was, it was really hard. So why, I, what, what do you mean by hard? Like, like all the, like everything was every, all the positions were filled. Like any, you could only really, it was hard. You had to like have a connection or, you know, work your way through being a substitute teacher or, you know, being like a teacher's assistant in a school like for a couple of years to work your way until get ahead teaching position. So it was like, it was difficult to get a teaching position. So that's I got shocking. A phone call like in the middle of the year and they were like, Oh, uh, we want to bring you in for an interview. So I came in in the interview and I wound up getting the job and it was in like a really bad area in Brooklyn, New York, which I was living in Long Island at the time. So it was like, I don't know if you know much about New York traffic, but I know literally nothing. <laughs> okay, so New York, there's really, really, really bad traffic. So anyway, I was driving, let's just say it was 45-minute drive with no traffic at all. Oof. But yeah, so literally it was probably double that at least each way. And I was I was going there, and the it was just horrible. It was in a very bad neighborhood. Uh I actually found out later on that the teacher before me had committed suicide. Holy shit. We don't know if it was from the job or from her personal stuff, maybe a combination of both. But regardless, I lasted about half a school year there and quit the job. I couldn't take it anymore. Then I started uh, working for another company, which was it's called, it was called a CIT, which is a special education itinerant teacher, kind of like a certified teacher that's a tutor basically i was working with children with special needs like going to their homes and working on different like children with autism could we could we stop one second um why why special education like why did why did you want to be a teacher and why specifically did special education resonate with you so much so when i grew up uh i actually was in special education myself and uh I had, I mean, obviously, very high-functioning special education. There's all different levels, like, but uh, I had some teachers that, like, really just, you know, I had really great relationships with, and I think it kind of just inspired me to want to to want do it, even though here we are now, and I didn't really last too long in the field. But at the time, I think that that's basically what it was. I had some great teachers that, like, really, really, you know, cared about me and the other students. So I was like, you know, this might be something that I I would want to do one day. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. Continue on. I, I was just curious as to, you know, why you chose that specific field. Yeah. So, and I, I, uh, I always like worked uh, in camps and stuff with, with children. I always loved working with kids. Like I just, that was, I just loved, I, I've always loved kids, but, uh, but anyway, um, where was it? okay? So yeah, so I had that job, and then I started working another job, and uh, where I was 
mostly like basically like a tutor for special needs children. Then I worked an after school job, but then I really started playing. So I would like work a little bit, but then I was playing in these uh, poker clubs in New York. A lot of these elite under, you know, I'm sure you know about them. Underground yeah. So I would, I would start playing a ton. I, I, I remember there was this one club in Long Island and I would, I would go straight from student teaching right to there, play like the afternoon session of the cash game, go home for a little bit and then come back again at nighttime. And I was, I started playing there every single day. It was, it was like two, two, five, no limit. Pretty sure that's, that's what it was. And they had like some tournaments at night or whatever. So I was still doing that, going back and forth. And then had, uh, had you gone from like fanboy to legitimately learning about poker immersion, trying to be the best person that poker player that you could be yet, or were you just still I mean, kind of messing around? No, I still, I, I wanted to win, but I think at that point it was more so like, I think I was at a point in my life where I just like, I just wanted to have fun. And like, I teaching was like, not it for me. Like I was getting like, not depressed, but like, it's just, I just didn't really like it. So like poker was like more of an outlet for me at that point. Like, where, no, I, I wasn't really like studying the game at that point. No, I, I wasn't, but I, I was still, I was just playing. Like I like, you know, meeting some guys there and hanging out and whatever. I was actually very overweight at the time. They would always like cater from like nice restaurants and I was eating a ton of food and I just, you know, I was enjoying it. But no, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't studying well, you you must not have been getting totally smashed, right? Because I have to imagine that, like student teaching is probably not going to lend itself to like replenishing your bankroll on a weekly basis, right? No, I actually. So the thing is, I actually even when I was like, so I would say bad at poker, I was always a nit. So I, I was actually always kind of a winning player because I never really like, you know, there's like near nit, and especially in these type of games, I'm sure you don't know much about them, but. You're playing with a lot of guys that are. Drunk. I know the type of games. Yeah, like yeah, I, so I, like, I've, I've put my time in it at, at private home games, like in my area. And I just have to imagine that they're probably pretty similar across the U- United States. Exactly. So, you know, you have guys that are just going all in blind and doing stupid stuff. So being a mitt in those games, I mean, yeah, I wasn't actually crushing the games, but I was certainly, yeah, I was, I was making a little bit of money enough to keep going back for sure. Cool. So anyway, yeah, so I was doing that for a while. And then, uh, you know, same thing, like every, I, I can't remember exactly how long of a time frame this was, but I would say for a couple of years, like I would do that. And then like, you know, same thing, World Series Poker would come around, I will come out. And like, I think each year, like I started doing a little bit more at the World Series, like kind of transitioning from not watching as much to playing more, but like still not like never playing the full schedule, but I would go and like, play more of the sitting goes and then you know maybe play like three or four world series events and then this probably happened for a couple years and then uh eventually so i was i had had a friend of mine that happened to be uh good friends with paul volpe and mark Hearn, two amazing tournament players and so this is like i said i can't remember the exact time frame but i want to say this was maybe around 2000 15 or 16 but anyway he was like yeah you know mark i'm I'm friends with paul volpe who happens to be good friends with mark hearn who's like an amazing tournament player and at this point like i really 
I saw all these guys, you know, you see a lot of the same names winning and winning and winning. And I'm just like, I like poker. Like I want to win something, you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't want to just be like a mediocre player my whole life. Like I actually want to learn to be good. So he got me in touch with Mark and, uh, you know, Mark's super, super nice guy. He worked something out. He's like, yeah, why don't you come over to my house and we can, uh, you can watch me play online on Sundays and start working together. Tell me how, how it, how did it feel to get connected with these guys that are like, you know, the crushers of the crushers that like you, you've been going to the WSOP and these are guys that are making final tables. These are guys that are like having massive, massive success. And now all of a sudden you've got an opportunity to, you know, gain a mentor, gain some, gain a coach. I think at that point, like the fanboy in me, like came out again. I was like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe like I'm even associating with these guys. And then like, I didn't even really, I don't think like at that time I even thought like, Oh wow. Like maybe one day I can make a final table or one day I can have a huge score. Like I don't even think at that point, that thought process was, I think I was just so excited to be learning from him and just like, even just like hanging out and watching him play. I thought it was like, I remember like telling some other friends, I'm like, I'm going to Mark Herm's house. It's the coolest thing ever. Like I was like, and, and yeah, I mean, so after that, I would go to work. I would go with him probably almost every Sunday. So it was like, he lived in Pennsylvania and I was living in uh, Queens, New York at the time, <laughs> which was like probably about a two and a half hour drive. And I would go on Sundays. He would let me like sleep over his house. We would, I would just watch him all day play. Basically he would, I would play on like ACR or something and he would, you know, tell me what, tell me some things. And I remember the, I was telling you this the other day. So the, the first night that I, first night I went over there, I was watching him and he, he had another friend over. And I remember like, I couldn't believe it. Like they, to me at the time, like if I ever made a final table or anything, like of, of anything, I was like, it was amazing for me. But I remember like the first day I went there, these guys were grinding online and they're at like, before even like the big tournaments were close to being over, they had already like had like multiple like 20, 30K scores. And I was like, oh my God, like this is insane. Like, and it was like nothing to them. Like, oh yeah, we got red. You know, I think they got like a second and a third and like, whatever some big online nothing crazy but you know and i was just like whoa like this is it was shocking to me and then so i watched him and then later that night i remember i was like i was just so excited about like i didn't all i knew in poker was like play good cards and that's it i didn't know anything really about like three betting light or any you know anything like that i was just abc classic mitt poker you know like you have ace king you have ace queen you have jacks you have queens you raise otherwise like maybe like if i had like king queen suited i would call a raise but that was it there was no three bets unless i had the best hand so anyway like he just taught me a completely new style of poker like and i actually happened to like pick pick it up really quickly so i, I just like erased I told myself, I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to just literally erase everything I know about poker and just pretend like I didn't know anything. And now I just do everything that Mark's teaching me. And anytime I'm in a situation, I'm going to think, like, what would Mark do in this situation? And 
I think, and I told you that night, I played like a $27 tournament, like a couple thousand people, and I came in like seventh or eighth place or something, maybe probably for less than a grand, but I was just so excited that this was, you know, I, I learned a lot from him just in that one day. So I guess, first of all, I'll say that like that level of caring, I, I think that Mark it's a test testament to the poker community at large and how generous they are as it relates to helping other people on their poker journeys. And like, you know, Mark didn't really know you. Right. And yet invites you to his home, lets you sweat him and shows you like all the behind the scenes of like every action he's taking at every tournament. And I mean, that is invaluable, right? Like that's, you can't buy that like on, you can't just buy that online somewhere. And yet, Mark did it just, you know, because he's a uh, he's a good human being. And secondly, how when you say you erased everything you learned about poker, like what does that exactly mean? How does somebody execute just erasing all the things and then uploading a brand new strategy? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I was just like, OK, like once, you know, once I went there and I'm not like a stubborn type of person or arrogant. Like I'm not stupid. Like I went there and I, I know Mark is one of the best players ever online. So to me, like I sometimes when I teach friends or try to explain stuff to them, like they'll always like be stubborn and stuck in their ways. But for me, it was just like, okay, like he's winning. He's doing something right. Like I've never really won anything. So I'm just going to, not listen to anything I've ever thought in poker and I just completely <laughs> go with what he says. And every time I was in a hand, I would just immediately think like, hmm, like think back to watching him or think back to what he told me, like what would Mark tell me to do in this situation? And I just went for it. And that's really how I got so much better. And, you know, and then also like as time went on and playing more events and stuff, texting him and, you know, we would go over all the hands that I was playing and some other hands he was playing. But like, yeah, I just, pretty much just literally went from the biggest nit in poker to one of the most aggressive players. Cause you know, Mark's style is just like insanely aggressive. So it wasn't like I went from like being a nit to like learning from someone that's like maybe like a tight aggressive player. He's just like insane, light four bet, five bet, six bet, whatever. So, you know, yeah, it was definitely, it was like completely a new game of poker for me, but I, I adjusted really well to it. I just, I loved it. And so tell me going from, you know, being a member of the Nittany Lions to being an aggressive psychopath. Like tell me about your career post Mark Herm, full poker immersion and just going balls to the wall. So yeah, so after that, uh I believe I can't like I said, time frames are a little off, but I I think that was it was during football season and it was like winter time. So what I want to say, I could, I could look it up on my end of mob, but I, I think it was probably 2016 or maybe 2015. But anyway, so I, I was working with him like the winter time. And then by that summer, I went back, you know, to the world series again. And I think this time I can't remember. I think I was still working, like teaching part time. So I wasn't still fully playing poker for a living but uh i went out there and this time it was like definitely played way more tournaments than usual like i was you know i felt a lot more 
I could have never dreamed that I would have like a huge win, but you know, I'm definitely more confident from working with Mark and I still hadn't had like a big result yet, like maybe a couple small things online. But anyway, so yeah, went out that summer and uh I came in sixth place in a fifteen hundred WSOP event for like seventy two or seventy-three K. And I mean at the time that was like literally it's still obviously a, a great accomplishment, but at the at the time it was like everything for me. It was like, made a world series final table like everything i ever dreamed of you know watching these guys on tv and here i am now i i made a world series final table like pretty pretty cool thing to tell your friends and family yeah it's it's a nice journey from you know being in the stands to being at the felt did you have a hundred percent of yourself in that tournament no i can't remember but i i i, I think i had if i didn't have a hundred percent it was oh no you know what I think I had about, I think I had like 85 or 90% of myself. Yes, yeah, so I, I had, I had most of that. I think at that time, I guess I must have been winning a little bit more in the, I, I was still playing in the poker clubs. I, I think I had built up like maybe a slight bit of a, a bankroll. So like, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure I had like 85 or 90% of myself. Yeah, that's good. Getting that, you know, the first really big score and having most of yourself is a pretty big deal. It's a shot of adrenaline to your poker career. Had you met the woman who would be your wife yet? Were, were you all married? Um, I know you, you have kids now, right? So yes, uh, no, 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 no. That had that. I'll I'll get to that point, but no. Okay. Yeah, I, at this point, I was still single, single guy, and I was actually eighty pounds heavier than I am right now. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wild. And I'm not I'm not exactly a skinny guy right now either. So it's funny that uh, yeah, back then I, I'll. I'll, I'll let you know about my uh, weight loss journey as well, but yeah, for sure. Shortly after this this World Series win, so, so yeah, so came in sixth place the World Series. Uh, I literally thought about it for like, funny, you know, you make a World Series for every what poker player that plays tournaments doesn't want to win a bracelet, you know? It's just like everyone's dream, and I made it there, and I like, not that I regretted how I played, but I think I just, I remember I, I busted. You know, as a standard hand, the guy opened the button. I think I was in the small blind and shoved with sixes for like 20 bigs or something. And he called it ace king and won. But uh, I just thought about that hand for a year or two years, you know. Until How you was the night game. before? How was the night before? Like when you're going to be waking up to play the final table the next day? Oh, you know, you know so that final table, it wasn't like that. I think we stopped at... I think it was the final, I was down to the final, maybe 27. It wasn't the final table, but yeah, it was still exciting to be in the final 27 of the World Series event for sure, yeah. Yeah, like you can see the finish line. I, I have to imagine you had some problems sleeping that night. Definitely. Uh, I'll, as we continue, my real big win that I had, <laughs> uh, that was, I'll let you know about that one, but that was, there wasn't much sleep involved in that for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I, I just- no, no, no. No worries. Anyway, okay, so yeah, so that, so I had the 72K win, and I think that was the point where I was like, okay, um, I, let's say I was probably, I was probably like 28, 27, 28 at that time, and I was like feeling absolutely horrendously, like physically. I was 280 pounds. I was 28-year-old getting chest pains getting out of breath tying my shoes you know and i was just like this is this is not a way to live so 
I think the the win really inspired me. So at, after that, I had some I had some friends that went to this really nice like, gym. Have you ever heard of Equinox? Very nice. nice I haven't haven't heard of it. Okay, it's like um, you heard of Lifetime? No. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. It's like a very 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 nice very nice gym. Uh, they have them all in the East Coast. Anyway, this it was in New York City, so I started. I went like I I've always even though I was overweight like growing up as a kid like I've always been an athletic guy like I love playing sports I like tennis basketball like I've always been I mean not like an amazing athlete but you know a recreational and pretty good athlete so anyway like I would go shoot around with some friends at the gym after this and then I was like I need to do some I need to make a change in my life like this is like I felt good. It was the most money I ever had in my life. Like at the time, I thought, whatever, you know, I had sixty or seventy thousand to my name. I felt like millions at that yeah. time. So I was, you know, feeling good about that, and I was like, I need to get myself feeling better. So wound up pretty much going all in on like nutrition. I I hired a personal trainer that I was seeing three times. I went from keep in mind five minutes at the gym, I would be out of breath, ready to throw up and go home. So literally just kind of similar to my poker journey, I guess, how I went from being a knit to, you know, changing, <laughs> changing that. But anyway, I was started, you know, working. I, I started actually loving going to the gym. It took a while. Don't get me wrong. Like the first, I remember when I first started going, I would make excuses to my trainer. I'm sick. I'm not feeling good. I, you know, anything I could think of. But anyway, so I started going to the gym. I hired a personal trainer three times a week. I hired a nutritionist that would go food shopping with me, start like really changing my eating habits. And then, yeah, within like a year and a half, I probably went down from like, I probably lost about 65 pounds. And uh, I was just feeling so much better. Like, and I, I thought that honestly, I did it for myself, but I also thought it would help my poker game as well because you know, like playing at the these tournaments are long, and when you're not feeling good, sometimes like you almost not that you want to give up, but like you're like I, I don't want to sit in this uncomfortable chair anymore. I'm very overweight, like I'm just not feeling good. Yeah, and it, I mean, you it obviously takes energy to perform at a high level at the poker table, like whether it be physical or cognitive, and have to imagine that like after ten intense hours, you're probably just totally, totally drained, totally wiped. For sure. And I was not exactly like, I definitely didn't have the good mindset of back then I would be eating horrendous meals on the breaks and stuff. And like, it just makes you, it makes you tired. And I was just, yeah, I was like, I can't, can't be doing this anymore. And then just, just for myself, like I didn't, you know, I'm in my twenties and like I said, I'm getting out of breath, bending over. It's not exactly a, a good sign. I, I'm, you know, if I keep this up, I, I'm going to probably die of a heart attack by the time I get to my 40s. So. Yeah, and that's that's not good. No, exactly. So I had, I had to make a change there. Which, But I spent about a whole year at this point. I would say, like, I was still – so this is when I really I – was, I was focusing on losing weight, but then shortly after that, I started to travel a little bit more for tournaments. And then, like – but I was really into, like, my fitness and health, like, I was always, even on the, I remember even like I would travel a little bit, you know, Florida, Bahamas, go to some tournaments and I would be in the gym, in the hotels. Like I was eating fruit salad, you know, I was really focused on making sure that I was 
even if I was on the strips, but I wasn't really like losing it, you know, which is hard. Like that takes a, a lot of willpower to maintain daily habits and rituals when you're on the road. For sure. I mean, of course, I definitely had some slip ups here and there. I'm, I'm sure. But for the most part, yes, yeah. so I was just focused on really just like getting to a point where I was, just, you know, feeling better and, you know, not getting out of breath all the time. So that happened for about a year. And then so my poker journey continued. You know, I was playing, had some decent scores here and there, but nothing as you as you were going along and improving your physical health, did you notice your poker game improving as well, or your stamina? Were there tangible results at the felt with like just changing your nutrition, your dietary habits? Actually, no. Honestly, honestly, there was there wasn't, which is kind of I know it's like you. Would, I I thought there would be, but no. My poker. Honestly, I had kind of hit a point in poker where like I just wasn't. I had that final table, and then after that, I had some okay wins, but I just felt like I was not really improving. Like I, so I, I had I hadn't continued to work after I had made the final table. Like I would speak with Mark here and there, but he got really busy with he was involved with crypto, like doing some trading, and like he was just all in on crypto. He he wasn't even involved in poker for a couple of years. So anyway, yeah, so I wasn't really involved with him i had i had some other i along the way i i gained some like friends that were really good at poker as well so you know we, we would discuss hands but i wasn't at that point i wasn't really i was still trying to learn but i think like after i think maybe i got like too cocky with after i made that final table and i was like oh i'm just like not that i thought i was better than everyone but like i just felt like the next win was coming and then it just you know it didn't come so Anyway, after that, um, you know, time went by and then I, I was like, you know, I think I'm doing something wrong here because I would, I was just like, I would go deep in some tournaments, but I was, I found myself punting out of a lot of tournaments. Like I was, almost every tournament that I got knocked out of was me bluffing my way out of it. So, yeah. The, the what would Mark do is starting to <laughs> starting to bite you in the ass. <laughs> it wasn't working for me. I, I think because, you know, obviously Mark has millions of hands of experience and he knows how to he knows how to navigate his way in certain situations that I, by bluffing all the time, was just not knowing how to navigate in those situations. Yeah, it, it's just built up over his entire poker journey. Right. And it's not even a thing that like if you're sweating him and watching him play. He can't even really verbalize the exact why as to why he's doing things in certain spots. And so, you know, you're just trying to you're trying to like reverse engineer the why. And if you get it wrong and you're not playing with that, you know, that subtlety, then it's very easy for being a a volatile, ultra aggressive player to just start all of a sudden punting in inappropriate spots like that's that's the. That's the line that you can cross when you're just ultra, ultra aggressive is you just start giving it away and you don't really realize like what's happening or why you're doing it or like why somebody else who's also using this style isn't punting all the time. Exactly. So I I think at that point, this was, I want to say the summer of 2017. So I had a real, at this point I was playing full time, by the way, I was done with teaching. I was, 
I was playing poker full time, and I think uh, I had a real rough World Series that summer. Like, I, can't I think I probably lost. Like, my my bankroll had been a little higher. Like, I was winning in some cash games and stuff. So, I think I lost like fifty k uh, roughly that summer, and it was a good portion of my bankroll. Maybe like maybe I had a hundred k bankroll or something. So it was probably around half, but. Even more so than the money, I think I was just, I was losing confidence. Like, I just, you know, I felt like I'm busting out of these tournaments. I'm bluffing my way out of them and, like, I'm doing something wrong. Like, I need, I need to, I need to change something. Martin, at this point, Mark and I were still friendly, but, like, we were, you know, he was doing his own thing. Like, I wasn't going to reach out to him again for poker. So I'm like, okay, I need to do something different here. Like, I need to reach out to someone else or do something. So, anyway, that, that summer, uh, uh, a guy named uh, Justin Liberto, he's a very accomplished tournament player. I had noticed like he was literally crushing everything at the World Series. Like he was top ten in the Player of the Year uh, for the World Series. Had multiple final tables, and he was just like him and I had. All, we had never been like friends, but you know, we give each other the nod here and there when we see each other. And he just, I could tell he was like a genuinely nice dude. Like I, I just knew like we. We kind of had like a, a little bit of a connection. Like I just, I just knew he was a very nice guy. So after that summer, I was like, listen, like I'm gonna reach out to this guy. Like I'm gonna do whatever it takes at this point to just get myself better. I'm the type of guy like I could, I could do coaching like you know watching it online, but I really need the one-on-one coaching to really, really get better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so targeted and specific to the individual player. That's that's really the major benefit of private coaching. Is like you know, I can launch a webinar and give out poker information and like general strategies that I believe to be effective. But until like I see a person, how they're thinking, the actions they're taking, that's when, you know, that level of specificity is just so massive to identifying blind spots and showing you what you don't know, right? Like that's, that's the major thing is like, you don't know what you don't know until somebody shows that to you and then all of a sudden it's like holy shit like i get it now like now i can tackle this and now i can tackle that and um it's just really hard to it's really hard to reach that level all by yourself it's going to take just so much longer than it otherwise would for, for sure so anyway yeah so I, I i reached out to him i didn't know if he had ever done any coaching or anything before but i was just like you know, I got his number, I think, from Mark or from someone else. And I, at that point, you know, Mark didn't have, you know, he had no, he didn't care if I went on and worked with another coach. He wasn't going to, like, resent me for it. He didn't, he didn't care. He yeah, was, he's in the crypto world. He What does he care? <laughs> exactly. He, he did not care. So I was like, hey, listen, like, I'm trying to work with somebody else or whatever, try to switch it up a little bit. He gave me Justin's number. So I, I reached out to him, right, shortly, maybe, like, a week after the World Series of Poker ended. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I, I had a rough summer. Like, I'm really looking to change my game. Like, I think you and I can work well together. Like, you seem like a super nice guy. So he got back to me and basically, you know, said, like, he was he's married. Uh, so he said, he said, you know, I'm just with my wife. I'm going to head back home for a little bit, and then I'll get back to you in a few weeks. Uh, let me think about it. He, he said he had never done coaching before. He had been approached, but never done it. So... Anyway, shortly after that, he had hit me back and said, okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to do it. So, you know, we negotiated terms, whatever, and we started doing it. We would, uh, we would Skype 
I think a couple times a week we would Skype and then uh yeah he would you know he would watch me play I would, I would we would go over some hands that he played and stuff and uh it was great it was just a complete new outlook on poker for me like so now kind of at this point like kind of how I told you when I started with Mark you know I erased everything from me now I kind of erased everything from Mark as well so I'm like you know what if I'm gonna go in with Justin, whose style is very different than Mark's, I'm just going to completely go in on his style now. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone, and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time. Like, how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition, that you want to create more flow in your life, and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress, and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit pokerwithpresence.com. Join Jason Sue's email newsletter and then schedule a free consult with the master of presence himself. One more time, that's pokerwithpresence.com. Did you ever like consider that, you know, there's there's strengths and weaknesses to both, right? Like you can kind of just pick and choose and like use whatever makes the most sense in the moment instead of this like scorched earth policy. I think I re- now I realize that, and I think I'm, I feel like I'm the most confident in my game right now. And now I kind of use the strengths that the strengths of both of their games. And I think like working with both of them has been amazing for my game. And now like I'll use strengths of their games, and then like I kind of tuned it into like my own, you know, like my own combination of their two styles. But it's kind of hard because they both play so differently. But I think just at the time I was like, you know what? Again, I'm just gonna go all in on this guy's <laughs> strategy. Like I, I'm, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to stop. I, I don't. I, I'm ready to stop punting out of these tournaments, and I want to stay in these tournaments longer. And his style, he's still, you know, an aggressive player, but it wasn't. Mark's, Mark basically was teaching me like only three betting, no flatting, no flat three bets, no flatting on anything. Just, we're just always constantly the aggressor. Like that's it. And Justin's style was more, he was, he picked the spots, obviously, he's a, he's an excellent player, so he'd be three betting, but, you know, 
his his style was more about like staying in the tournament, like being in the tournament. Don't take as many unnecessary coin flips. Just like stay in. Like we don't need to be. Like basically, what he told me is like, yeah, you're gonna be all in in the ace king to queens coin flips, or the you know queens to jacks, queens to ace king, whatever it is. But like, you don't need to be in a sixes versus king queen coin flip. You know what I mean? Like, let's try to erase those and play post flop more and just stay in the tournament. Yeah, and I mean personally, that resonates with me a lot more than just insane preflop aggression but i guess that makes sense because i'm a cash game player so like i'm i naturally gravitate to wanting to make decisions post-flop and seeing the data points and using those data points to make better decisions but so you change right you you do the scorched earth again you change your style once more what were your results like after switching coaches so yes i had i had switched over to justin's style and uh this was, then we worked for like a few months. It's pretty remarkable actually what happened. So this was, yeah, like I said, we started in August. We started in August. This was, sorry, this was 2018. Started in August of 2018 and worked for a few months, played like a few tournaments, maybe at Borgata or something. Didn't have too many results. And then uh, I went in November of 2018 to the Bahamas and played this 5K uh, party poker tournament. It was like huge, huge tournament. I, for, I think it was like a 10 million guarantee. And uh, I came in second place for 1.2 million. It was just like literally the coaching, again, obviously I'm sure there was a lot of luck involved, but like it was just remarkable. Like literally him and I had only worked together for like a few months and then just boom immediately like biggest score ever like bigger he even said like bigger score than he had ever had and he was like he's like the ask like nothing but amazing things to say about justin he's like nicest guy ever like very very nice guy i remember like him telling me after i came in second he was like like dude honestly like this second place win is like feels like better to me than like any of my wins like that's how like great he felt about like you know, he had never coached before either. So to coach me for a few months and then all of a sudden, boom, I just got a million dollar win. It's like, holy shit. Yeah, that that's a great feeling. I, I can say that that resonates with me very much so when, you know, my private coaching students find lots of success. It's like, yeah, like my shit works. This is awesome. Like they're living their dream and, you know, I'm the guide. And yeah, it, it's really, really an amazing feeling. Going back though, that final table to that tournament the night before. Tell oh me, God. tell me about the night before. Oh, so anyway, yeah, I was, I was staying with a buddy of mine actually. So I was playing for I had eighty percent of myself. I had sold, I sold ten percent to two buddies of mine that I I had always been like when I played bigger tournaments, I would just not even. I think at the time I had some decent money, but like you know, just friends, sweat, whatever, just. I, I would sell like 20, 30% sometimes. Yeah, pepper but, the board. Exactly. So anyway, I, uh, that, oh my God. So yeah, so that, I was staying with a friend of mine. We went on the trip together. This actually, I was, I was still, I was still single at this point. I was not, I had not met my wife yet. And then uh, anyway, we were, 
yeah, we were hanging out and I was, there was 11 people. I think I was in fourth place with 11 left. At this point, I was like guaranteed like 85,000 or something, which is already my biggest score ever. And I was just like super nervous. I, you know, I don't even think I was as nervous. I think I was just very excited. I was just like, I really felt, and again, with 11 left, these, the 11 people that were left were like all very good tournament players. Like this was, this tournament that I came in second was like one of the toughest tournaments in the world. Like this was very, very tough tournament. And yeah, I think I was just like super excited and confident actually. I was like, even though all these good players, I, I was like, I just kept telling my buddy, I'm like, I think I'm going to get like first or second place. Like I just, I just feel, you know, sometimes you just have that feeling. Like it, I just felt it was my time. Like it, it was just going to happen. Yeah. You're, you're in the flow. You're making good decisions. You're not afraid. You're confident. All of those things translate into lots of success at the poker table. And yeah. So, so the night before you, you, you're playing the final table first place. How much was first? First was 1.5 million. 1.5 million up top. That's gotta be uh whew, gotta be some stress. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, it was, I mean, maybe I slept for a few hours. I remember like, I was just so excited to call, like I had a lot of friends calling me and it was actually streamed the night before. So like a lot of my friends and family were watching, like it, it was just very exciting. Like I had never, you know, obviously a lot of guys that have a ton of success in poker had had this before, but for me, this was the first time when I made that world series final table, they actually, I kind of got snubbed. It was like, for some reason, that was like the only tournament that wasn't even streamed. So uh, I, I didn't even have a stream for that one. So this was like first time I was ever on a stream or anything. And it was like, obviously, massive tournament. And I had friends and family texting me and, you know, like super excited for me. So, yeah, it was it was really exciting. What, what were you feeling like as you're laddering up, right? Like as you go from nine to eight to seven to six to five, like it has to be every with every single bust out. It's like one step closer like holy shit this is amazing yeah so i, I when so when the final table first started i think I, I came in so like i said we started at 11 that day and then when we got down to the final table i was right in the middle of the pack and i want to say like i was in like probably fourth or fifth out of nine and then uh literally within a couple orbits i had doubled up uh you know, have you ever heard of Joe Cuther? He's like a well-known tournament player. <laughs> no, it's very, it's embarrassing the number of really great well-known tournament players that I have no awareness of because uh, just me sticking in the cash game streets. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, he's a well-known player. Uh, I had, so I, I doubled up through him, uh, Jacks to his pens, and I flopped quads, which is, I was, my heart was, even having Jack first 10s and you're a massive favorite, you're like, obviously, you know, 10 comes and that's it for you. Yeah. Out in ninth place, you know? So I'm like, my heart was pounding and then boom, all of a sudden I flopped quads. I was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) You can can slow down heart. There's. (laughs) Yeah. So after that, I wound up being, I think I was either chip leader or in second after that. And, you know, it was was crazy. Like the, I kind of just cruised. Like I never, you know, like, Normally, I mean, I, I know you don't really play tournaments, but a lot of times final tables or any stages of tournaments, you're going to have, you know, ups and downs or things that happen where you, you know, you lose a big pot. But at the final table, that just really didn't happen for me. Like it was, I didn't play huge pots, but I was just consistently like staying where I was at, grinding up a little bit and picking good spots and just 
yeah, like you said, guys were busting and it was, I wasn't even thinking about it as much like when they were busting, like, oh, just got another 80K, got another 100K. I was just, I think I was thinking like, oh, wow, like there's only five left now. Like I'm, I'm getting really close to winning this thing. Yeah. Then they, do they, did they do the thing where they put all the money on the table when you get they, heads, they heads did not, up? They did not, they no? did not do that. No, that would do they not cool. do that anymore? Is that like a thing that's antiquated? They put like a pretty cool, like a sick, like trophy out there. Heads up. Obviously not the same as putting a million dollars up there. But yeah. What, what, why don't they do that anymore? That That's I, one of my favorite things about heads I don't up know tournaments. If, I think that's only a world series of poker thing for like the final, for the main event, but I could be wrong. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, but you're playing for the trophy. You've locked up one, 2.2 million have to imagine that like at that point you went from like 80 K being the <laughs> biggest score of your life to like this 300 K difference and being like, fuck it. Like <laughs> I've already locked up 1.2 million, right? Like that's a pretty, pretty good result. It was, it was insane. Anyway, anyway, let me take you back one step right before that. So there was, this was the absolute turning point for me at this, at this final table. So we got down, there's six people left. This was insane. I'll, I will never forget this ever. And most, most of my friends and family would never forget this. I, so there's six people left. I'm in second or third place at the time. I think sec, I'm in second place at the time. And the guy to my left is the overwhelming chip leader. And he's like very good player. Uh, his name is Pascal Hartman. He, he plays all the nosebleed stakes online. He's, I think he's a German guy. He's like part of like the, he's friends with like Fedor Holtz and all those guys. Like well-known online player. Anyway, uh, so at this point, I'm in second place with six left. And obviously the pay jumps are massive. So I'm like trying to stay out of his, you know, it's a, he's on my direct left. So I'm playing pretty tight at this point. Like just trying to, and one guy had three big blinds as well. So I'm like trying to just let guys bust and just like play tight. So anyway, six people left. I'm on the button with about 40, two big blinds and I have two jacks. I, I had been limping a decent amount at the final table, but I decided at this point I was going to go with the min raise because I thought this guy had been playing super aggressive. I'm like, he's going, he's in the small blind. I'm like, he's going to three bet me because he knows there's a, a three big blind stack and I'm in second place. Like he knows I pretty much have to fold everything. So Anyway, I, I, I open the jacks and he just goes all in. Oh For shit. 40, 43 <laughs> big blinds I had effectively. And he had yeah. like maybe 70 or 60 at the time. But I was just like, oh my God. Like my heart at this point, I'm like, I have jacks. There's a guy with three big blinds. There's, you know, like a lot of tournament players would honestly, I've spoken to people and they would fold in the spot. Like they would want to ladder up and they just, they wouldn't do it. And for me, I was just like, I've never been that. I mean, yeah, obviously laddering up is great, but I'm like, I want to win. And I'm like thinking in my head, I, I, you could, I even said it out loud. I'm like, I could absolutely have you crushed here. Like there's a lot, he could have six, you know, smaller pairs a lot of the time. And if he had Queens through aces, would he really just shove all in for 43 big ones? Like, no, probably not. Yeah, it feels pretty unlikely in a spot where he's supposed to be through betting with a high frequency anyway. It's like, why not give you an opportunity to put the last bet in if you have, you know, top of range? Exactly. So anyway, I'm just like sick to my stomach, obviously, at this point. But I'm just like, 
I, I, I was talking out loud. I, I remember like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm literally like, look, I remember there was a guy, the guy that had three big blinds and then another guy. I'm like, literally talking out. I'm like, you guys absolutely love this. Like, I think I, I said it out loud. I'm like, you guys, I'm like a guy, like, I'm not like a typical poker player. Like, I like to talk. I like to like have fun. Like, you know, a lot of these guys are like robots. Like, I remember yeah. even after the final table, the, the camera guys, they like came up to me and they were like, you know, we really want to thank you for like being our entertainment for the final table or whatever. Because I wasn't like these European guys who just don't say a word and just sit with their sunglasses or whatever. I was, I was having fun. I mean, this is once in a lifetime type of moment. Yeah, you you, you ought to have fun, right? Like I, that that's how I am too. I'm always like just talking and interacting and making the game entertaining right especially like when dude shoves i mean it's not like we can give any information away <laughs> about anything right it's like just uh it's entertainment yeah so I'm, I'm sitting there i know in my head i'm calling but like i'm just like i'm just like all right like i i, I can't do it like i can't fold i don't care like i'm if i get six i get six like whatever so i call and now my heart is like literally about to be out of my chest like this moment literally this is for the monster chip lead six people like literally i'll have almost half the chips in play if i win this hand and the guy who was in first will be like down to fourth or something and it's just like complete moment changer like for the entire tournament this is like the biggest moment of the tournament at this point yeah the the jack links all in moment right here oh my god this is massive and it's massive for everyone at the table too because the guy there's one guy sitting with three big blinds who if i've lost now he can jump up an extra hundred or two hundred k, whatever the jump was at that, at that time. Yeah, and, and the dude on your left, uh, Pascal, you said. Yeah, Pascal. Yeah, like it switches the roles too. You go, you go to being the big chip leader, who's now abusing everybody else. Like it just changes everything. Exactly, changes everything. And if he wins this hand, it's pretty much a wrap. He he wins it. I mean, he's going to win the tournament. Like it's, it'd be hard for anyone to beat him. Like he literally would have almost all the chips. Like he would have seventy five percent of the chips. Right. So anyway, yeah, I, re- I remember that I was like so nervous. I remember like just sitting there, I stood up and I was like screaming to the dealer. I'm like, please keep <laughs> this clean. Like, th- I mean, this is like literally like a life changing moment in this one hand. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you his hand. His hand was ace, ace six of clubs. Okay. So he has ace six of clubs, which makes some sense, I guess. Yeah. It, I, I think it was smart of him. It just seemed like a little you know 43 big blinds just seemed like a little bit too much to do that with but he's a way better poker player than me and he's in a team with you know a great player so i'm sure there was a reason you know it made sense you you could reverse engineer it look at it as a math problem i think and and figure out you know the icm considerations and all that i'm sure that if one were so inclined they could break it all down and figure out um if it is a good shove or not, I'm just going to assume that it probably is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say, because, I mean, I'm literally folding, like, if I have, like, nines there, I'm probably folding. So, like, he has to, I mean, I didn't even love calling with jacks. So, I mean, the hands that I'm calling with are literally, like, jacks, queens, kings, aces, and ace, king. Everything else is probably a fold. Right, exactly. So, and Anyway, so, yeah, I actually, I was hoping to see, like, obviously a lower pair. So, at that point, you know, ace, six of clubs against jacks is what, like, 70 30 or something like that yeah it's no bargain yeah yeah and this is we're talking about literally for this hand is potentially for over a million dollars like i think sixth place probably only got like 
you know, 300K or something, maybe less. I, I don't know. I can't remember exactly. Probably about 250, 300, whatever. But if I win this hand now, I'm literally pretty much guaranteed a lot. Third place is a million dollars. So I'm like pretty much guaranteed to be in the top three. Yeah. I'm, we got our mil- million dollar pot, a uh, million dollar pot brewing. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Uh, I think the flop was like King High. He never, there was no, no clubs, no, and nothing that like, no, nothing too scary, but it just, it stayed clean. And then I, I remember like, I, I had two buddies that were uh, watching me. Like they were, they were like, it was weird how it was set up in the Bahamas. You can't really, you couldn't watch it, but they were like down. There was like a little stairway that to go down and they were, they were sitting on their laptop watching because it was on a delay. So they would watch and then tell me some stuff that would happen. And uh, I remember when I, when I won the hand, I just, I couldn't control my emotions. I like clapped my hands. I, I think I screamed like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and I just like went down to my buddies and I was like, we're the fucking huge tip leader. Like I'm, I, I couldn't help myself at that moment. I was just, like, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be like a bad sport or anything, but it just my emotion. I was so happy. Yeah. Million dollars is kind of a lot of money. I, I could see, I could see why you'd be excited. Plus, you know, this is the culmination of, you know, your journey up to that point, right? Like you, exactly. you are the one who's playing and everybody's watching you and your buddies are sweating on the delayed stream. I mean, this is, you know, your dream being fulfilled effectively. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It was like, and that's the thing, like, even when I won, like, of course the money was amazing, but I think like more than anything for me, it was like the fact that I proved to myself and other people, like my friends and family, like, shit, like he's, he's for real. Like, wow. He just like, he just won $1.2 million in the tournament. Like when, you know, over the course of a year, other than maybe the world series, like there's not even that. And other than high roller tournaments, like, there's not even that many tournaments in the world now where you can even win a million dollars. And so it's like, and this was literally, like I said, the, the field was so tough, like unbelievably tough. And yeah, it was just like kind of shocking to me. I, I, I like, I didn't, I, I should have, I actually should have probably won. I, I, I didn't play uh, the guy. So I wound up playing a super, super nice guy. He was from Portugal heads up. And I think both of us were just like super, you know not that you don't want to win at that point, but I think at that point I was just like, I won $1.2 million. Like, of course I was trying heads up. Like, of course I wanted to win. But I think at that point I was like so happy with the win that I was just like, I didn't care that much. Of course I wanted to win, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like it was like yeah, 1.2, Like I was already so happy that I think it kind of got into my head a little bit for heads up. And I think I didn't play the best I could have played. Yeah. And I think that makes sense, especially like this being your first time playing heads up for over a million dollars. It's probably overwhelming and you're satisfied already and you lose a little bit of that edge that, you know, for the next time, uh, assuming there is a next time, you know, you will have that edge because you will have gone through this experience before exactly like i i I know that in my head now like next i just feel like in this this experience for me like and then i you know i've had some i just won uh the sunday millions on america's card room like a month or two ago for like 135k so like i've had some other deep runs and other like but now like i think at that point i was just super nervous and now once i like you said it was my first time now that i did it 
I think like when that moment happens again, and I believe it will happen once, you know, once live poker is back and running, I, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty positive that I'm, I will make another final table and in a big tournament. So I think when that moment happens, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be ready for it no matter, you know, heads up, whatever. I, I will never be, I won't be satisfied until I win. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of emotions and self-sabotage and just handing people chip stacks because the pressure is just overwhelming. That just happens at these giant MTTs with life changing money up top for the folks who are inexperienced, you know, and that's why guys like Fedor, people that have been through this many, many times are just ready with, you know, their hands stretched out for these guys to just kind of give their stack away and make, really bad decisions in these high pressure moments. Like there's just so much value in experience and being through this multiple times before you, you just can't really overstate it. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, like I said, when I got the heads up, I think I was very like excited and confident going in and then like, you know, you lose a few pots and then like, I truly felt like he, he, he had, he was an online player and he had a lot of heads up experience. I had zero heads up experience. So I think I, as the play went on, I started to lose some confidence. And, and then, like you said, you know, you kind of think like, whoa, I already won 1.2 million. Like, I, I, not that I didn't care, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, 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 I know exactly what you're saying. Like you, you, you've already locked up a million dollar score. And so yeah. at that point, like everything else is kind of gravy, right? Like you're satisfied whether you get second or first, like you're, you're yeah. happy either way. There's not a bad outcome. You know what I no. mean? But I think going forward, like, as we discussed, like, no, I don't think I know going forward. Like, I think my mindset now, once I did that, has completely changed. And I would, if I get to the heads up point, whether it's for a bracelet or any other tournament, I think I'm just going to be like a savage and not even think about the fact of, like, no, I'm not satisfied. Like, I want to, I want to win. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. Cool, man. Yeah, that's an amazing story, amazing journey. I want to segue now to some, you know, lightning round questions. These are questions that are sure. I ask regularly on Chasing Poker Greatness, and uh, we'll start out by asking you if there's a carbon copy of yourself uh, just getting into the game, a younger version of yourself, and they're just getting into it today. If you could sit that kid down, have lunch with him and give him some advice, what would you say? I think I would say to just always take the game seriously and always try and learn more, you know, and, and always try to reach out to people that you think are better than you and 
try and become friends and associate with guys that are great at what you're doing, whether it's poker or anything else. I think for me, how I've had my success in life is always getting advice from people that know what they're talking about, whether it's the stock market, whether it's anything, just anything in life. I think you just need to associate with guys that are successful at what you're trying to be successful at. Absolutely. You know, that that's a greatness bomb. And there's a quote that I love that you, you can tell who the pioneers are because they're face down in the dirt with arrows in their back. Like, it's hard to be a pioneer. Go to the people who have achieved the level of success that you're aiming for and ask them how they got there. What steps did they take? Like, what are the mistakes that they made? You can learn so much from other folks poker journey and you know not have to commit the same mistakes that they made in order to move your game forward and really there's just no alternative besides having someone like we mentioned before having somebody look over your shoulder look at your game give you a direct feedback in the exact areas that you're struggling in exactly i think a lot of poker players and myself when i was younger or friends that i have i think like you get like a jealousy or like you hate, you start hating on guys that are winning and like say, Oh, they got lucky or this and that. But I think in reality, it's like what you said, you have to really, really think like, how did you get to this point? Like, how, how did you do it? Like, I want to do it too. Rather than thinking like, Oh, they ran good or they got lucky. Like, no, I want to know how you, how you did it. Yeah. That that's the thing that a lot of people say about Fedor, right? It's like, Oh, the kid just runs like Jesus. And it's like, does he like does does he just run like Jesus? Is he oh, is he just did. getting like lucky over and over and over over again, or does he know some shit that like barely anybody else knows? Is he poised and present um, in the pressure cooker, and he just performs at a much higher level than everybody he's playing against? Yes, I agree with that for sure. I think he guys like exactly, and I I I truly believe that. Like I have friends that are like, oh, this guy just ran good in certain spots, I'm like but he's showing consistent results all the time. Like, obviously he's doing something, right? Yeah. It's called jealousy, right? Yeah, yeah, it, sure. it, it's just called jealousy. Um, if you could gift all poker players one book to read and it doesn't have to necessarily be about poker, what would it be and why? Maybe a piece of content, maybe a strategic advice in poker, um, an app, uh, something that you've bought recently that, has helped improve your poker game anything like that okay uh i would say uh run it once uh phil galfon's site i i've i've read a lot of their content and they're yeah i mean i've learned a lot about plo and other stuff from from there so i would i would say i would say run it once run it once subscription yeah if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker and I'm going to have to exclude making poker legal worldwide because that's a low hanging fruit. People, okay. it just gets said over and over and over and over and over again. Right. Um, what would it be? I would change the WPTs and all the major tournaments to only one re-entry rather than max re-entries. Cause I think it's just, it's just not fair that a lot of these guys are, buying in for six, seven buy-ins and then wind up winning. And then it, it takes away from these tournaments because a lot of the amateurs don't want to play in them because guys are in for six, seven buy-ins. So I think either complete freeze-outs or just one re-entry is what I would like. And have the amateurs told you directly that they hate the rebuy 
element of it. Like, because, you know, I'm outside of the poker world. I can only, <laughs> I, I read on poker Twitter, right? But, I, you know, it's good to know, like, the pulse of the recreational players playing these bigger buy-in tournaments. Yeah, for sure. I've heard people that aren't considered pros saying, like, oh, it's not fair that Alex Foxen was in for seven or eight buy-ins in the Bellagio tournament and, and won, which, I mean, listen, I don't take away anything that he did. Like, obviously, he knew his edge and he kept buying in until he couldn't buy in anymore and he won. So great for him. But to me, it's just like, and even when I see it, I'm like, these guys just like, to me, the most frustrating thing, and I've heard amateurs say it too, is like, if you knock someone out of a tournament and then they come out and wind up winning or like take you out later on, it's like, it doesn't feel real. Like, it's like, how did, how's this guy back in again? <laughs> he got resurrected from the dead. Yeah. Just annoying. But yeah, I mean, can't really say anything about anybody that's um operating within the rules right like i think that the tournament organizers themselves are the ones that ought to address the issue because the players like you know a lot of people hated when negranu would just like shove over and over and over again in those rebuy tournaments back at like the wsop in the day and it's like that's within the confines of the rules like he's not breaking any rule he's doing exactly what the tournament is structured to do and you know it's a process problem not a not a poker player problem. Agreed. Yeah, no, I have no problem with the players. It's it's just uh, I would rather the directors change it to freeze out. So, like the World Series of Poker, I think they do it the best of anyone. Like they, some of their tournaments, yeah, they have. I there's not really that many that are unlimited rebuys. Most, if they're not freeze outs, they have like one reentry or like they'll have like two starting days where you can play one on each day. Like I'm totally cool with that. I, I like that, but. The fact that you just go unlimited re-entries and then some of them you can even buy in up until day two, it's just, it's too much. Tell me, do you have an alternative solution? Because I know that like the incentive for running the unlimited rebuys is they make way more money when they do that, right? So like... Yeah, no, I I, I don't really because I think at this point, the tournaments just wouldn't get that many players. So it's hard. I guess it kind of has to be that way for right now. It, It would be nicer if... I, you know, if online poker were to come back or whatever, I would, I would think the player pools would get bigger and then maybe we can, we wouldn't have to do as many rebuys. But. Yeah, blame uh, longtime Chasing Poker Greatness listener and guest Matt Savage for letting that genie out of the bottle. And there's really no putting it back in. Unless, of course, you have a magic wand, in which case you could. <laughs> that is very true. Um, what's your current big goal as related to poker? Uh, I want like another, I would say $300,000 score or bigger and then a bracelet. That's probably the goal right now. Another, yeah, like I said, a minimum two to $300,000 score within the next year or two. And that begs the next question of what are you doing on a, a daily basis to improve your poker game? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm watching tons of videos, uh, I watch a lot of uh, pads, you know, pads, Patrick Leonard. I do. I watch a lot of, I watch a lot of his stuff. Uh, I constantly talking and texting with friends and I'm playing a decent, not a lot, but playing quite maybe twice a week now, but like on Sundays I'll, you know, I'm like 12, 13 tabling playing a lot. So yeah, just, I've been, I think honestly online, this whole pandemic thing I think has gotten me like, so much better like i'm just i'm ready to get back into the live scene even though honestly i've been enjoying online better to tell you the truth but i think 
live poker is just so much easier. Yes. And you get to talk to human beings as well. Like humans being social animals being locked up for this past year. Like I can't even imagine the run and the rush in casinos when, you know, every, all, everybody's vaccinated. We've put the pandemic kind of in the rear view mirror. Like it's just going to be insane. There's going to be so much demand. It's going to be insane. For sure. And then also the the fact that Bitcoin has been going up so much. I think so many poker players own Bitcoins. So I think these tournaments are going to be, everyone's going to be flushed with money and everyone's going to want to play. So it's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be good times. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? I don't really have one. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of thing. Is this like poker related or? It could be whatever, man. It, it's it's your world. Just something that, you know, any sort of project. I mean, you're a new father. I think that's probably a project that's pretty near yeah. and dear to your heart. Uh, yeah. So no, right, right now I'm just really just focusing on my family. I have a one-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old daughter and wife. So yeah, just really just the pandemic's honestly been great for us. You know, I hate to say that because I know so many people out there have lost their jobs and been terrible but for us you know we've been getting closer to each other and just spending great quality time with each other and the fact that you know my daughter was born a little over a year ago and that's how long the pandemic's been going on so really even though i'm not a super busy guy all the time anyway like i would have been around but like this has really made me even around even more and just getting to see her go through different phases has been great yeah, it's gonna go one of two ways. <laughs> you're either gonna yeah. you're either gonna bond and get much closer with your spouse, or you're going to hate them at the end of the pandemic. Um, exactly. I'm glad that you guys have gotten closer. That's uh, I've heard a lot of friends and people that I know that have exactly what you said that are at each other's throats and don't want to spend time with their kids anymore. But no, for us, it's been the complete opposite. Yeah, that's great to hear, man. And uh, final question, and we'll get you out of here. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Okay, so I am on, on social media-wise, I am just on uh, Facebook. So Craig Mason on Facebook, uh, not on Instagram. I'm not a big social media guy. But uh, Do you do yeah. any po- poker coaching, anything that you, know, you, you want to promote? Uh, no, I do not. I do not do any poker coaching. I, I've uh, considered it, and it's something that I definitely, you know, maybe I'll talk to you about one day, and I've definitely considered considered doing it. But right now, no, just just playing and you know, spending time with the family. For sure, man. That's enough. That's enough for anybody's plate. And Craig, it, it's been great having you on. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure that you'll be back sometime in the future for a round two we can talk about you know your experience at the next giant final table that you make same here man yeah i'm looking forward to it for sure i'm like not trying to be arrogant but i'm super confident that another big one's coming so we can definitely get in touch after that i believe you take care man all right man be good Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.